Welcome back to the Stack Investment Club podcast. I'm James, and I'm joined here by Dan. Today, we're going to be talking about the financial markets. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what the Fed did last week. We're going to be talking about some different methods of invest- investing, their pros and cons. We're going to be discussing a couple of different accounts people use. Uh, also discussing you know, pos- some forecasts of the future and some investment picks. So, Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today, especially after the numbers of inflation and uh, coming out yesterday and how well the stock market did yesterday as well. Oh, could you tell me a little bit more about the inflation rating yesterday? Sure. So uh, consumer price index or CPI uh, dropped to 7.7% annually, which is the lowest figure we've seen since January. And this is showing that the economy is starting to get to a healthier level of inflation and making it easier for the Federal Reserve to control how much the economy is growing. And we saw this impact yesterday uh, in the stock market. James, what were some of the numbers that came out yesterday? (laughs) Your stock market did very good yesterday, man. I have to tell you, my portfolios were looking quite nice. Um, The Dow Jones rose 1,200 points, which comes out to about 3.7%. The NASDAQ rose 7.5%, and the S&P 500 rose 5.5%. Whew! Great day. Great day. You know, the S&P 500 is still down for the year, 17.52%. But any gains like yesterday are great because that is the highest gains we've seen since um, 2020. And that's mostly due to, you know, the inflation ex- like inflation coming in much lower than expected. Mm-hmm. As it's, good, it's a good sign for the future. And that's what, you know, the stock market wants to see. So last week, the Fed... Uh, had their uh, meeting and they rose interest rates or they rose the Fed funds rate by 0.75 basis points or 0.75, whatever, 75 75 basis points. points. Ah, okay. The same thing. (laughs) All right. So Dan, can you tell me uh, what the Fed funds rate is? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So the Fed funds rate is the Federal Reserve's target interest rate for overnight transactions between banks, and they raised it by 75 basis points at uh, this past meeting, and they could potentially start to increase the Fed funds rate at, a lo- at lower increments because we are starting to potentially see the time lag for the Fed funds rate and inflation take place. That's, that's totally true. I mean, the Fed's... Ask me. About the time lag? About the time lag. Oh, okay. I was going to say something then. Oh, okay. My apologies. Yeah, no. So, like, the Fed, the Fed's the Fed's main role in the economy is the dual mandate. So, like, their job is to make sure that we're achieving, like, a target 2% inflation. And, you know, it's still way above that. And un- employment is still very good, uh, which is kind of not what the Fed is looking for as they continue to raise rates, but... We'll see what happens in the future. But then you were talking about the time lag. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So when it comes to monetary policy, these the policies don't always they, – they actually never uh, have an immediate impact. Have an immediate impact. Thank you for finding the words for me. No they, problem. <laughs> they don't have an immediate impact. And so typically uh, we see about a nine to 18-month time lag from uh, – monetary policy's original decision. And so right now it's November. So 
The first interest rate hikes were in March, so March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. So we are in that nine-month yeah. time frame. So we could, you could make the argument that we're starting to see the timeline taken, uh, take action, mm-hmm. and we that should mean that we are going to see inflation uh, continue to drop to the two percent target rate yeah. over the next several months. Well, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be difficult. You know, we've seen a larger than expected increase in uh, the producer price index, the PPI, in September which kind of shows that they're passing on their prices to the consumers and showing that inflation is potentially coming in more, becoming more entrenched in the economy. And that is the one thing the Fed has made like their stance known that they will stop at no cost to make sure that that does not happen, as I think that would have a larger impact um, than, you know, let's just say if employment were to start increasing, I think inflation's impact is much heavier. Wouldn't you say? I would agree with that. And if inflation continues to have an impact on uh, consumer uh, expenditure, uh, this would also uh, want them to like start. Or, th- this would conti- this would have a further impact on like uh, them wanting wa- higher wages. Yes, right? the demand for wages being increased, and this would. Uh, create a potential wage price inflation spiral. James, would you like to explain what that is a little bit more? A wage price spiral would not be good because basically what would happen is, you know, inflation goes up, people want more money because the higher cost of living and then they they want more money and then those passes get get put into whatever goods they're producing, get passed on to the consumers and then guess what? People need more money. And this would not be good for the economy at all. And the Fed is definitely is definitely fearful of this, which is why they're taking a very aggressive stance in stopping inflation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Jerome Powell said that uh, back in their October meeting that he's more worried about inflation than a potential recession right now. And he is willing to go into a recession mm-hmm. as long as it brings down inflation. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you said, like with the time lag, it's potential. It's possible that you know, in a few months, we're getting more into a recession. I mean, GDP did decrease for two consecutive quarters, but then it increased last quarter. So that the tech, like, it's not really they weren't wasn't technically called a recession. So we'll see what happens with that. Yes, there's a lot of technicalities with what we call recession right yeah, now. <laughs> and, and there's a specific I forget the name of who actually declares the recession, but they never actually declared a recession. But te- like with like wage increases being so high and also uh, the labor market being so strong right now, it, it, you can really absorb what the Fed is doing. So hopefully the Fed, when we start to see higher unemployment, while it's not good, the Fed's what the Fed is looking for to start signaling lower increments. Yes. Or to stop, which they're not, they're not, they're not talking about stopping until next year. So... All right. So moving right along from uh, how inflation can infect people's inv- affect people's investments, James, what are uh, some different type? Uh, what are some different methods that we can look at when it comes to uh, investing? Sure. So I'm going to talk about long term investing. Uh, it's definitely something I believe in. You're setting yourself up for retirement with long term investing. Uh, you, you don't really have to worry too much about current market trends. And, you know, your money will compound. It's easy to do. You just put the money in and let it grow. 
There's less risk if you also if you diversify. And you know, one thing to point out is the S and P 500's average return since 1928 is 11.82%. That's pretty good. I, I would like I, I would like that much. What and that's did you say? 11.82%. I would love 11.82% now that's, on my return. That, that's including, um, you know, the recession and the, the Great Recession. That's including the dot-com bubble. That's including the infl- the high inflationary period in the 70s. That's including COVID. That's including the, like, the, the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good returns. And I think definitely you have to have – Especially if a younger person, you have to have yourself sort of. You have to start setting yourself up for your retirement, as you know, the living costs are increasing, and you need a lot of money to retire. Is that right, Dan? I would agree with that. Especially uh, right now, you it seems like you need to set yourself up as much as as much as possible to make sure you have security in the future for yourself. Oh, totally. And then some some cons with um, long term investing is you know your your investments might be more volatile in certain periods. You know you might see lower than you might see lower than expected returns, lower than expected returns <laughs> in the short term, but in the long term it should increase. And you know when you do get to retirement, these long term investments are subject to you know capital gains tax and all that. And but if you're setting yourself up for retirement nicely, younger at a younger age, you will not really have to worry about it as much, which is definitely worrisome. I worry about that a little myself right now, so I'm hope I'm trying to get that started. And then Dan, could you maybe tell me a little bit about short-term investing? Yeah, totally. So, uh, short-term investing is when you hold an investment for typically less than a year, and they te- the are considered to be a little more speculative and risky than long-term investments because they are much more volatile. However, some of the advantages include higher returns than long-term investments because uh, with day-to-day traders, they're looking for returns into the 20 to 30% range. Mm-hmm. And you could reap on the market trends. Yes, you, you can. Yeah, And although they're risky in the sense that you they're uh, you're getting a higher return they are less risky than long-term investments because it's a short amount of time you don't have to hold it for as long and uh they tend to be more liquid than long-term investments mm-hmm. some of the t- disadvantages with short-term investing uh oh uh <laughs> Sorry, sometimes reading can be very hard for me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> some of the uh, uh, major disadvantage of short-term investing is uh, you're much more subject to capital gains taxes. Uh, when you hold a, an investment for less than a year, you are taxed at a higher rate. So, some people don't uh, like that because you're losing less of your gains and they are also more likely subject to broker fees and commissions compared to long-term investing Mm -hmm. because short-term investments you're most likely doing on your own instead of having someone manage an account for you yeah um and then from there let's talk about like some different accounts you could use 
Um, so let's start with like a regular individual uh, brokerage account. So I mean, you pretty much anyone created an individual brokerage account. Um, and basically, like Dan said, you'd be taxed at like a normal rate every year. Um, you know, if you're buying and selling, you know, you could have long-term investments in there. But the one, the one thing that I think we need to talk about a little bit is the Roth IRA or a regular IRA account. So a Roth IRA is a little different than a regular IRA as it's after-tax money. So you could set up like your own money in it. Uh, they, you know, I guess any extra money you could put in it. Um, and like your earnings must be under 140 K for that. So since it's after tax money, your contributions are then like, they're not taxed. So when you retire, you, you're they're not, you're not subject to any taxes at all, which I think is definitely a great benefit. Um, if you could do this before you're, let's say if you're, you know, if you set this up and put as much money as you can before, reti- before you get to that, you know, 140 mark, that's, that could be a nice little chunk that isn't, you don't have to worry taxes about taxes coming out, right? I would agree. And so, and yeah. I would also say before, you, you know, cut me off there, Dan. I think you just cut me off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you can trade in an IRA account and not have to worry about taxes. So if I wanted to, you know, sell a stock, I could sell a stock and not be taxed. Because the money's still staying in the account. Yes. And it's an it's a retirement account. Which is one advantage of you know, having a, like a retirement account set up is that you, you can buy and trade and not have to worry about taxes or buy and sell. Excuse me. I don't know why I said trade. <laughs> <laughs> buy and sell. Uh, so any questions, Dan? So uh, do you think a Roth IRA or a standard IRA account is better to own in regards to taxes? In regard to taxes, I would say a Roth, but I would say do both. Is both is better, right? Yes, you you want to be as diverse as possible. In diverse as possible, but but also you want to. So a regular account would come like would come out of your paychecks. Let's say your company would maybe set that up, right? And they could potentially match it. And if they're potentially matching it, if you max that out every year with them matching that max out, that's pretty good. That is. And you cannot like you. Ha- I think everyone should take advantage of any type, of, any even type of like, uh, company incentivized, uh, retirement accounts because it's just that's the company putting money into your retirement. It's free for you. money. It's free money. Who doesn't want free money? Exactly. <laughs> but then also like a Roth IRA is also good, and you could, you know, buy a bunch of stocks. Um, you can set up your own like portfolio, diversify it by fractional shares. Like I have a portfolio of 40 shares, of 40 stocks. 40 stocks, but they're not all a full share. And going to keep that going <laughs> and make changes. And those changes won't be subject to tax. The tax. So pretty good. And I recommend that. All right. Uh, James. But, but oh, oh, I oh, don't recommend oh. that. Remember this this podcast. We're not making any recommendations, so don't. You know, this is only for informational purposes. Or don't don't listen to us if don't don't use us as the uh your don't trust us completely. <laughs> <laughs> we're only we're only talking here. Good save. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we're we're just some college students trying to. Understand the stock market and the economy as yeah. best as we can. Yes. And so, James, if you don't mind, 
me not making any recommendations, providing information <laughs> uh, to to our podcast, I would like to go into mutual funds, if you don't mind. Oh, I would love for you to hear you go into mutual funds, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> you just said that like so passionately like like please tell me about mutual funds anyway so uh a mutual fund account is an investment program that where multiple shareholders put money give money to a manager and that manager trades on behalf of the investors right so uh you pay a commission for the person managing the account and then whatever returns you get are yours to keep. However, the manager can make any sales at their own will. They don't need to contact you when they're making sales. And then you have to pay taxes on those sales regardless of if you spoke to the manager about selling a stock. So like how similar to how we were talking about having a diversified IRA account before or uh, holding an ETF we didn't actually talk about ETFs. Did we, uh, uh, what, what did we say? We didn't, we didn't actually speak what did, about What did you say was 40 shares? Well, I actually, well, speaking on behalf of my own portfolio, I do have like my own little portfolio of stocks, like 40. That's how you diversify with a lot of, a lot of stocks. But I also like, I also own ETFs in there as well to further that diversification and ETFs are basically, um, well, they're exchange-traded funds, but they're basically mutual funds, um, but not subject to as much, um, I guess, manager, like... They're ETFs that you can manage on your own, well, I would say. Well, we wouldn't manage them. They're like, not, they're like based uh, You off can manage the, the trades. They're based off the market, yes. basically. So basically, there would be like one on the S&P 500 or... Uh, real estate or high dividend stuff like that. Um, so they basically they basically are, they're basically just follow the market. Um, while mutual funds are sort of um, ETFs are passive investments pegged to the performance of a particular index, while mutual funds be- ah become active actively managed. Mm. And ETFs are not actively managed. It took us a couple minutes, but we got there. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just do that for both of us. That's quite embarrassing. No, you know, can't win everyone, so. No. All right. All right. That's all I have for mutual funds. Uh, James, what, what are some of the forecasts for the future? What, what, what yeah. are the numbers looking so like? L- let's talk a little bit about, like, the potential, the probability of a recession. So Bloomberg, uh, we have a Bloomberg here at Headstack, and – we use it quite a lot. We have a Bloomberg lab. Did I not say Bloomberg no, lab? No, you, you just said Bloomberg. Oh, we're getting quite good use of that, out of that button. It's going to be a long day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. So we have a Bloomberg lab here that we use quite often. Um, and we used it mostly for our the Fed challenge. Dan, would you like to speak a little bit about what the Fed challenge is? As a presenter for the team, I would love to talk about the Fed Challenge. So what it is, it's uh, a a competition where college students across the United States compete in teams for their schools, and they play the role as monetary policymakers for the Federal Reserve Bank. 
So we had to research the economy. We had to look at the financial markets, had to look at the labor markets, had to look at the housing market, inflation, unemployment, and try and collect as much data as possible and make an analysis of it. Mm -hmm. And then we had to make a decision as to what the Federal Reserve Bank should do to uh, lower inflation to its 2% target while maintaining maximum employment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And, and so so it, it was a great learning experience for all of us on the team. Me, myself and James were presenters on the team and researchers and got to learn great analytical skills, researching skills, teamwork, mm -hmm. communication, totally. presentation skills. So it, it was a great experience for us. It, if you're a college student out there listening to this, I would Definitely recommend if your school has it, take part in it, especially oh. if you if you have a big interest in the economy. Oh yeah, plus it's also a great resume booster. Mm -hmm. You could talk about it. You could talk a lot about it on your interviews. So, uh, so back to what I was going to say on the, the probability of a recession. So Bloomberg has a composite of over eighty different financial institutions and financial and academic institutions, and right now they're pr predicting a sixty percent probability of a recession. I've read a, a few different uh, Bloomberg articles uh, where their models are saying 100%. And it's honestly not surprising with the potential time lag and the continued rise in the Fed funds rate. And then we'll get into our sock picks, right, Dan? Or do you have anything else to say about that, please? Uh, no, I think you, welcome it. I think you covered uh, the recession piece pretty well. And obviously everyone should have somewhat... Uh, of skepticism and concern about a potential recession and make the uh, proper decisions to prep yourself for it. But at the end of the day, no one really knows where we're going with a recession. Mm -hmm. Everyone has different numbers. It's only, it's only a probability. It's not yes. a guarantee. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. but yeah, that, that's all I have for that. So we can go into uh, potential stock and uh, other investments that yeah. you can make for so, informational reasons. Purposes only. Yes. <laughs> we are not recommending these for yourself. We are just saying that these seem like they could be good investments. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, James's, we'll call it James's stock stock pick of the day, is um, Amazon. So Amazon right now, let's check their price. So Amazon, so Amazon stock right now, sitting at $99. So they're undervalued right now. And their price, they're pretty much have fallen 30, 34% over the last three months. Uh, and their price is much more affordable now than it used to be. It used to be in the thousands. They had a stock split in May. So that's definitely another thing to consider. I think most people would use use Amazon a lot. I know I will be using it quite often for the holiday season as Black Friday is approaching in a couple of weeks. So in Cyber Monday. Yes. So kind of advertising Amazon here. So <laughs> we are not sponsored by Amazon. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> wish we could be sponsored by Amazon. That'd, That'd be, be great. But so the, their prices are, um, the price fell more um, recently as they underperformed earning wise in quarter three. But the, the Christmas season is approaching, as I just mentioned. So we should see, a lot, uh, an ex we should there should be an expected increase with the holiday uh, coming the holidays coming around. So Amazon is also a good long term investment due to you know their fast shipping, their expansion overseas, and also their Amazon Web Services, which is not 
talked about as much, but is one of the is the most valuable piece of Amazon, which you know also is just a great thing to, uh, to learn about. So I you know I, I would say rec- Amazon is definitely undervalued right now, and is definitely worth considering investing in long term. All right, very nice. Well, thank you, Dan. Good research on that. Thanks. <laughs> so, Dan, would you like to share Dan's investment of the episode? Sure. So, I actually have I have a uh, two investments of the episode. Both of these are corporate bonds. Corporate bonds. Yes. Oh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when it comes to bonds, it's basically a lender selling debt for for their firm or a government bond or a company, and in this case. A corporate bond is when the company is selling part of their debt to potentially it's an IOU. Hmm? IOU. Yes, it's an IOU basically. Mm-hmm. To put it in uh, simpler terms, so my two companies are Pefco and Southern California Gas Company. So when it comes to Pefco, what is Pefco? Pefco stands for Private Exporting Funding Corporation. Oh. And so they support the export of U.S.-made goods by purchasing loans for foreign imports in the secondary market, which means like not on the NASDAQ or uh, it means not to – is it the NASDAQ or DEC? I don't know anything about PEPCO. <laughs> no, no. The, the, the secondary market. That's uh, – oh, the stock market. The stock – New York Stock Exchange. Excuse me. So PEPCO stands for Private Exporting Funding Corporation. And the corporation supports the export of U.S.-made goods by purchasing loans for foreign imports in the secondary market uh, from commercial lenders that finance U.S. exports. And so the secondary market basically means that uh, they aren't buying directly from New York Stock Exchange. They are buying from uh, buyers and sellers that could be on the stock stock exchange, but the the, the loans aren't there. So what the secondary market is, is uh, instead of buying these loans from the stock, uh, New York Stock Exchange, they are directly buying them from the buyers or sellers. And so uh, lenders sell to PEFCO to improve their own profitability and remove low yielding assets. And they also help up uh, free uh, their own credit capacity for other borrowers to buy and sell their loans. And so for PEFCO, uh, I was looking at the AAA grade 3.55 coupon rate bond, which is maturing, which has a maturity date of January 15, 2024. So it technically is a long-term investment. However, it's a, a short long-term investment mm-hmm. because it's uh And who gives the, the ratings? So uh, there are several organizations, would you call them? I guess so. <laughs> several organizations that grade bonds, including uh, Moody's, Fitch, and the S&P, which is Standard & Poor's. Mm-hmm. And you might know Standard & Poor's from the S&P 500 index on the stock market. So they have a pretty well understanding and uh, credibility when it comes to grading bonds and how secure they are. And so a AAA grade means that it is a uh, very high-valued bond and compared to the other bonds that PEFCO sells, the AAA bond is going to get their returns first before the other bonds. Okay. And uh, the G spread of 
This bond is 36 basis points. What what does that mean? So the G spread, thank you for asking, heard, James. I've never heard of the G spread before. You've never heard of the G spread, James? No. Can you please? How, how are you on the Investment Club podcast? You've never heard of the G spread. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really invest much in bonds. <laughs> I'm more of a financial markets guy. Terrible. Well, not financial. I'm more of a stock market guy mm. than bonds. All right. To each their own. But uh, maybe you could tell me what that means. The G spread is uh, the yield spread uh, comparing the corporate bond to uh, the treasury bond. And so since PEFCO has a G spread of 36 basis points, that's 0.36% higher yield compared uh, to the treasury bond. And so compared to other AAA bonds, this is a very high G spread, but overall compared to most bonds, uh, this is pretty low. So it's a very low risk investment in the bond market. And uh, so that's all I have for uh, PEFCO. When it comes to Southern California Gas Company, they're a natural gas company located in California, which hopefully, uh, James, you could uh, figure that one out based on the name of the company. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dan. (laughs) But uh, they're the largest gas distribution utility in the United States, and they distribute all throughout the southern half of California. The bond for Southern California Gas Company that I was looking at is the 3.15 uh, coupon rate AA grade bond. And so the current price for that is 96.32 with a maturity date of September 15th, 2024. So again, technically a long-term investment, but it's was that 22 months out from now about so not too long of a maturity compared to now and this bond has a g spread of 60 basis points so it is slightly more risky than the pefco bond you but can also note that from the different grade as well yes since it's it a is double, since double it is a, a double a grade that is a lower grade so they're they're technically second in line compared to a triple a mm-hmm bond to get their uh, returns on their investments. So uh, yeah, these are the two bonds I was researching in the Bloomberg lab using the FIW. uh, What's that called? Function. Function. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. Then Words are hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that, that was what I was using in the Bloomberg lab, the FIW function to look at all the different types of bonds, whether it's corporate bonds, government bonds, different, maturity dates and uh g spreads and so yeah that, that's all i had my for my investments james do you have any uh final comments or uh statements for this no i just hope everyone could follow along with the bond piece <laughs> <laughs> no i'm all only kidding dan did a great job um and i really don't have any other thoughts dan do you no i i think i'm good <laughs> all right well I, I got nothing else i think we covered uh, the financial markets and the economy pretty thoroughly today. So, mm-hmm. Sure, uh, yeah. definitely. So uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening and uh, have a good one. Thank you. Showtime.